0: Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and our guest today is Dave Zirin. If you're not a sports person, you may not know Dave's work, but you have heard me sing his praises over the years. Dave is the author of one of my most favorite books called Welcome to the Terror Dome, The Pain, Politics, and Promise of Sports. And he just released his newest book, The Kaepernick Effect, Taking a Knee and Changing the World. And it's all about the ways that Colin Kaepernick's kneeling protest has reverberated throughout the world of sports. Our conversation ranges from the best athlete protest to the way sports have changed and so much more. The Stacks Book Club pick for September is Blood in the Water by Heather Ann Thompson. We'll be discussing the book on the show on Wednesday, September 29th with Derica Purnell. If you're looking for more from The Stacks, consider joining The Stacks Pack. You contribute monthly and gain access to new bonus episodes, our virtual book club, a community of other book lovers, discounts on merch, and more. If this sounds like you, head to patreon.com thestacks The Stacks and join The Stacks Pack today. Some of our newest members include Megan Hines, Diane Egglestein, Cindy Hong, Caitlin Anderson, Catherine Nopinski, Nikki Elizabeth, and Megan McCormick. I really and truly could not make this show without you and all of the rest of the stacks pack. So thank you. Okay, now let's talk sports, activism, and politics with Dave Zirin. All right, everybody. I am here today with one of my favorite writers, who I have been reading since at least two thousand seven. I think is when I first encountered your work. He is an author. He is editor at the Nation for sports. He is, uh, has you've written like eight books or something crazy.
1: Uh, Eleven.
0: Eleven. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And this new book. Is called The Kaepernick Effect Taking a Knee, Changing the World. Everyone, welcome to the podcast. Finally, Dave Zirin. Oh my God. (sighs) Yeah, the crowd goes wild. i was about
1: to hear that. (laughs) Um, I I see the wave going on in the background. I'm so thrilled to be here. I've long said that The Stacks is the best book podcast out there. So to be on it with this new book, it just makes me feel confident in the book. It makes me feel great about the audience that's going to learn about the book by being on your pod so you know i just, i just i'm feeling like a uh, michael jordan in a game 6 right now <laughs>
0: i love it i told you this already and i think people at home know dave is one of the people who is on the original original dream guest list because as i mentioned i've been reading him for so long i wrote a paper about the nba and hip hop off of uh, it was my final paper for my hip-hop class in college off of your uh, Alan Iverson essay in Welcome to the Terror Dome. Just so excited. That book is so good. I meant to Thank reread you. it before we talk today, but of course I ran out of time. So please
1: just know that I love the book. And I I think I, it's sitting right in front of me.
0: Um, Anyways, let's talk Thanks. about the Kaepernick effect.
1: <laughs> I'll just, it's interesting because like both with um, Welcome to the Terror Dome and the Kaepernick effect, I want to make sure that I'm – writing as a white author about what are black politics you know, in a manner that shows some discretion and gives space to the other voices that have amplified and built this movement. And I'm just jumping in on that because when I did Welcome to the Terror Dome, I really wanted to call the book Welcome to the Terror Dome. But I was like, I can't call the book a public enemy song. That's just a little bit out of pocket, but to just do it. So what I did was I, I uh, reached out to Chuck D and said I really want to call this book Welcome to the Terror Dome but I think it only works if you write the introduction because mm. it like gives it a a stamp of approval you know that that you're you're sort of giving me permission really to use your song as a metaphor for everything that's wrong with sports particularly around stadium construction that starves inner city communities and Chuck D was like hell yeah that sounds great and that's how we were able to like build a, a relationship through doing that.
0: That's really cool. I feel like that yeah. must be an honor to have someone want to use one of your lines or lyrics oh. to be the title of their book. Like that I think that's really cool if you're a musician.
1: The flip side of that, I, I've said this before, like I actually think about my life as existing before and after. I heard the song "Black Steel in the Hour of Chaos" by Public Enemy. Hmm. Like you know, that that's the dividing line in my life. And if you know that song, it starts. You know, I got a letter from the government the other day. I opened and read it. It said they were suckers. They wanted me for their army or whatever. Picture me giving a damn. I said never. And I heard that, and I I almost almost fell over. I was like a (laughs) like like a teenager. And, And so so to even like be in any sort of conversation with Chuck D was, I don't know. It was, it was brain hemorrhaging. I love that.
0: Let's talk about The Kaepernick Effect. In about 30 seconds or so, can you just tell folks what the book is?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Kaepernick Effect is about the stories of the young people who took what Kaepernick did, which was take a knee during the national anthem in protest of racial inequity and police brutality, and they brought it home to their communities and did it in places ranging from Seattle, Washington, to Beaumont, Texas. And I tell their stories and write about how it affected their communities, because that's what I feel like the Kaepernick effect is all about.
0: And. It's interesting because there's sort of like little vignettes throughout the book, Mm -hmm. each different person or different team or whatever and their experience. So I'm wondering where you got the idea to tell the book in this way, as opposed to telling more of like a traditional history of what happened or more, like as opposed to telling the book, this is what Colin Kaepernick did in chapter one. Mm -hmm. Chapter two, we travel to Texas and we see a little bit of this. Like, Why did you want to do it in more of this vignette style?
1: That's a great question. And because I felt like, the entire media has gotten the Colin Kaepernick story wrong from day one. And the fruits of them getting it wrong was seen in the mass protests of 2020 after the police murder of George Floyd, uh, the largest protests in the history of the United States in the summer of 2020. And I, I argue that a road, not the road, but a road to those protests and to that level of organization was paved through athletes who took the inspiration of what Colin Kaepernick did and brought mm. that language of protest to their communities. So I feel like we've gotten the story wrong because we've been talking about it in terms of like, ooh, what does it say about Nike that they signed Colin Kaepernick? Mm. Well, Nike's stock prices get hurt because of this. I can't believe that the Dolphins signed this terrible backup quarterback and right. not signing Kaepernick. Like that's been what all, everyone's been focused on. And I wanted to be like, this is why I first started – writing the book and frankly, why I had a tough time finding a publisher too, um, was because I was just like, yo, all the stories of these young people who met, you know, metaphorically took the ball and ran with it after Kaepernick took his knee and had a new language by which they could protest as athletes. That's getting memory hold. Right? Like we're going to forget, we're going to forget that thousands of young athletes protested during the Anthem in the three years after Colin Kaepernick and are still doing so to this day. And, and so that, that was the impetus for the book. And everybody was kind of like, eh, and, except for the New Press, which was like, oh, nice. <laughs> and I think that's because the New Press, you know, they're in charge of Howard Zinn's People's History series. Right. They published My People's History of Sports in the United States. So they've so got good, that so vibe. Good. Thank you. But that, that's, that, that's their vibe. Right. And so they were into it. But then, you know, I started working on the book at the very start of the pandemic. Mm. And then about six months, oh no, no, more like three months after that, you've got the police murder of George Floyd and the protests. And then not only did I start looking at the book differently, like then it became like, you know, very, you know, there was this very understandable thirst in the publishing industry for books that had to do with race, mm-hmm. politics, mm-hmm. sports. And then, you know, the book, started to just get a lot more more attention like during the writing process right. like it went from this sort of cast off book to you know it's it's garnered some good interest there's going to be an excerpt in sports illustrated oh cool and yeah and that's just that's totally the fruits of the protest itself which is one of the reasons why we could talk about this later but i'm giving my profits of the book to a group called serve your city dc so it's not like i'm personally profiting off the book oh that's great I mean, this book—it's built on the stories of other people, right? And and you know, so I just want to reseed that community of the I people who risk so much.
0: Okay, so I—I ha- I, I, first of all, I love that. I think that's great. I ha- i want to talk about the protests more, but I want to wait because I, I have some questions about sports and media because you brought up mm-hmm. that you felt like folks were covering the Colin Kaepernick kneeling situation protest, all of that wrong, and I'm wondering why do you think that the media gets this wrong? Like, why do you Mm. think that folks aren't asking the right questions or telling the right stories? Is it because they don't understand sports? Is it because they don't understand protest? Is it just because talking about Nike and starting jobs is more interesting? It plays into the fantasy football mentality. Like, what the reason I'm asking is because I feel like with other sports protests, we see the same thing. Like, when the players decided not to play After the murder, I believe, of Jacob Blake in Milwaukee, you know, that that was the conversation of like, what will happen to the playoffs and not like, what are these guys doing? So I'm wondering, why can't the media get the conversation right?
1: Well, one reason is absolutely because you have sports writers who don't have a sense of the broader society. And you have a lot of reporters, journalists who are political reporters who do not at all understand the world of sports. And so you need people and newspapers actually in the last year or so you've seen positions develop at places like at the Washington Post and places like USA Today. Um, They have uh, definitely all the West Coast big papers. They have somebody who covers sports and society and that's their beat. So there it's like these newspapers are now trying to develop this kind of beat that, you know, that some that few of us have been trying to do for a lot of years. Um, because they understand that you really can't understand sports without society and vice versa. So there are, there are efforts on the big paper level of getting it right. But I really think it's also about the decline of local media mm. and local journalism. And, you know, like having reporters in small towns, like if you're in Beaumont, Texas, and the, the, lead, the youth league football team isn't going to stand for the anthem, they're going to take their knee and... I mean, that's a huge story in that town. Mm-hmm. But w- where are the people reporting on it? Where are the people getting it to a broader national audience? I see. So that's the issue. That's part of the issue as well. And I also just think it's like under, I mean, we're talking about something that's very, very niche, very specialized, like this idea of something that you study politi- how political radicalism develops how protest develops, how demonstrations are organized. I mean, this is how I spent decades of my life trying to figure that stuff out. And that's a very, 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 very small group of people who who invest time in trying to understand those things. And yet when you live in a time of exploding protest, all of a sudden it doesn't become a waste of time, it becomes something very important for understanding what's happening broader in terms of the social forces. Like it can feel like a waste of time studying that kind of stuff for many, many years. Right. And then all of a sudden, boom, explosion. It's the most important topic of conversation from coast to coast.
0: Right, it's like that thing that people say about, you know... Luck is preparation and timing or whatever, whatever it is. It's like, you've been doing this work for your whole career. And now all of a sudden, it's like, oh, Dave Siren's on the beat. He's way ahead of the game. Like, oh, he's talking about this thing that we all care about all of a sudden. And you're like, I've been talking about this for 20 years. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, it's 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 I mean, but honestly, it's more like sometimes I feel like a fly that lands it on a horse's back. <laughs> and the horse is all of a sudden just going nuts. Yeah. And, the, and as a fly, I can enjoy the ride, but I don't want to delude myself into thinking that I am, in fact, riding the horse.
0: Right. Interesting. That's such a great metaphor. Um, okay. So in this book, it's almost exclusive, or I think it is exclusively, people who, I can't remember anyone who is against what I'm about to say, but you could be like, there was that one person. But it's all people who took a knee, were proud of what they did, felt great about what they did, felt like it was the right thing to do. Did you consider talking to people who regretted kneeling or had a different perspective on it after time, or even folks who considered it and decided, you know what, I'm not going to do this in the moment? And Why would you or would you not want to talk to those people?
1: Oh, I mean, you know, what what I'm about to tell you, you know, it might not pass pass, uh, academic mustard in terms of uh, putting a book together like this. Is it mustard or muster?
0: I have no idea. I was literally thinking in my head, I don't I don't know which one it is.
1: (laughs) Because past the mustard makes a lot of sense. but I don't know what muster muster means, so I don't know.
0: Either one. We're going to make it
1: past the mustard. Let's just make it past the mustard. Great. Uh, This isn't going to pass the mustard academically, probably, but I wrote this book like this. Like, it wasn't like I only want to talk to these people and not this people. If I'd had people who'd had regrets, I would have actually loved that for the book, just Mm -hmm. for the contrast. And I definitely went looking, but I went looking for everybody. Like, I threw open the barn door. Mm -hmm. I put the word out on social media, I put the word out through a ton of contacts. I'm, I'm like Googling just me, high school. Or knee women's (laughs) soccer, right? uh, You know, to get diversity of both sport and gender in the book. And so I'm, I'm, and then I'm just contact, I'm like messaging people over Facebook, I'm messaging wherever Mm -hmm. they are on socials. I'm looking up like people up in parents up in phone directories to get permission to talk to their 15 year old. (laughs) And it it was, it was just like, I wanna talk to as many people as I can.
0: And so everyone you spoke to was, thrilled at what they'd done they felt
1: No, like- uh, No, somewhere in some in the book are, are a little bit conflicted I see in terms of did it really did it really move the needle did it right. change anything and certainly I spoke to several people in the book who left with reservoirs of, of, of bitterness about how they were treated by coaches or administrations people who had to switch schools right like it's definitely in every story like like it's got some people some of them with some real, Access to grind that they, that, that are well-earned. But as far as like, and that, that, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like that, that would have been, I just could have gotten some folks who could have talked about, well, I did it. And then, I mean, I guess, what would they say though? Cause well, I if don't they know. say yeah. I, I, I did it and I, and it didn't change anything. We've got a couple of people like that in the book. Or I did it and I lost all my friends. Yeah. That happened.
0: And there was someone who lost like potential draft position they felt. or Yeah. Poten- like, but I was thinking more like people who did it and then decided that like the police aren't that bad or like went on to become a police ah. officer. Like people who did like because there are people who in the book. Took a knee. And then they tell you in light of 2020 George Floyd protests that they were like, I'm proud of myself because I knew it. And like, mm-hmm. you know, this pans out like I knew that we were in line with this thing. And so I was wondering, like, if there were any people who were like, I did it. And then all of these people went out and protested and they made us look bad, you know, like, I I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, and and more also just people who like were on the teams because you don't talk to anybody who was like on the team and was against it, I don't think.
1: Right, right. I do not. No. I mean, which also would have been, definitely would have been interesting. I guess, I you don't know, I guess I was just trying to really platform the voices as a cohesive yeah. of who took a knee and then just what happened to them. Yeah. And th- that was just sort of like the broad layout as a way to sort of paint a picture as to the diversity of locale, mm-hmm. of diversity of sports, uh, diversity of athletes. Right. And to, to make, to give it like a, a real sense of a, of a national movement, even if it didn't call itself that or understand itself of that. Yeah. And that was one of the things when talking to people is, um, you know, I always asked everybody about like, well, did you get in contact with other folks at other places because I was trying to tease out, like, is there was there any kind of social media organizing mm. uh, for what took place? And there it really wasn't. It was one of those things like courage is contagious. Like mm-hmm. they were getting a, you know, people were reading about it, getting a sense of it in the air, getting a sense of it on social media and saying, yes, this is something that we can do here.
0: Yeah. One of the other things that comes up a lot from a lot of different voices, which I, which I think was the thing that shocked me the most in the book, was how many people you spoke with who thought it wouldn't be a big deal. I I just I could not wrap my brain around that because Mm -hmm. no one did this before Colin Kaepernick or a few people did things before Colin Kaepernick, but most people Mm -hmm. did it because of Colin Kaepernick and were inspired by him. And so if you can see the protest, can't you see the backlash? And like Mm -hmm. I just was so
1: shocked by how many people were like,
0: yeah, I just thought it was going to just be like a little protest NBD.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, one thing you can say about that that's interesting is youth. Sure. <laughs> uh, the second thing is, you know, like, like I'm sure you in school and I say this as someone who's got a couple, a couple of teenagers at home. It's like, you know, th- there's so much like general, I don't want to call it apathy, but just like try to get through the day mm-hmm. of being in junior high and high school that when you see a kid who actually takes initiative to do something, they tend to get a lot of praise
0: mm. by adults. Mm-hmm.
1: And so I think a lot of these young athletes thought, "Wow, I'm going to get so much props from people for trying to start a conversation in my community." I see. You know, and and because that, that's kind of the culture of the junior high and the high school. Sure. And then they and then they found out, like, "Well, wait a minute, you know, all these people who tell you to be outspoken and be three free thinkers, uh, they're not talking like that." Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> when we're saying we like the civil rights movement, we're not actually suggesting that you do something to make us uncomfortable, <laughs> you know? And so that, that, that to me, I think is a big feature of it is, I don't want to call it like the innocence of youth, but, but definitely want to, you know, you, you, think of it as p- the culture of the institution has them thinking that they're going to, um, it'll be NBD.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I just, uh, that to me, that was like really, Shocking, And I guess maybe because I'm like old and washed now that I like think like an adult <laughs> and I'm not, you know, but I, I, yeah. I just feel like because what we've seen with Colin Kaepernick and basically in my lifetime, every single athlete activist in every single way, whether it's Simone Biles a few like a month ago talking about mental health, whether it's Naomi right. Osaka, Serena Williams, like every athlete and I should qualify that every black athlete that we've ever seen do anything political ever ha- in my lifetime that I can think of has been met with strong resistance, vitriol, Absolutely. hatred, like just the ickiest, nastiest stuff. And Colin Kaepernick is the example that I think of, obviously, because of your book, but also because that was so huge. But yeah, I mean, can you think of any time that an ath- a black athlete has protested in a meaningful way that was not met with like the most pushback?
1: No, no. no. (laughs) But part of it is that the pushback is part of why we remember it and part of Mm -hmm. what makes it memorable.
0: Mm. I mean,
1: because they were actually risking something and then they provoked a response. And, you know, the opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. You know, they they are able to to stir passions among people, people like, you know, just to pluck a some names out of thin air, people like Tommy Smith and John Carlos, it's like, you know, you raise your fist, you know, you gain supporters that are fierce. You also gain haters and you, you grow up as an athlete and people think that, you think that people either love you or they hate you, they like you or they dislike you and all of a sudden you become this symbol that people are either for or against mm. and that, that's a much more fierce uh, formulation. And you feel that intensity around you and that intensity is what allows it to, to burn bright and allows us to still see it and try to understand it today. Yeah. Now, um, now, as for these, <laughs> for, for the question of black, it's so interesting, black athletes, white athletes, like one of the people I um, interviewed in the book is Megan Rapino. Sure. And, you know, got much respect, uh, Megan Rapinoe, uh, top to bottom, no question and this is obviously no fault of hers this is about the fact that we live in a racist society but it's so interesting to me that the first athlete to take a knee in solidarity with Colin is Megan Rapino mm-hmm. and as part of her doing that her reputation her commercial value her yep. fame yep. has increased considerably that that's not and that's not why she did it obviously no. and and of course she backs it up with play but it was a story that Megan Rapino was the best player at the women's world cup, you know, as opposed to just say Carly Lloyd, right. you know, that it was Megan Rapinoe like, made everything she did, you know, it put a halo on it. And then she was right. sports illustrated sports person of the year and, 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 all this stuff. And to me, that that's such a, a stunning example and indictment of what racism looks like right. in the United States. Like Colin Kaepernick loses his damn job and Megan Rapinoe gets famous for doing the same thing for the same reasons. Right, right.
0: And and she did it second also.
1: And she which, did it second. Like it wasn't her yeah.
0: brainchild, you know, like it's not like she right. was out leading on this idea, which again, I love Megan Rapinoe. I think she's great. But I think that that example comes to came to mind and she's in the book which is so cool. Um but that came to mind for me as well, you know, as this was unfolding, being like she's great, I love her, I love her swagger, I love her energy, I love, you know, everything about what she's doing is great and like what you what you would want to see and and again she's a great soccer player, but of course there is that question of like how come she's allowed to do all this and be the star and when Colin Kaepernick does it it's like burn Nike's and- like, yeah. Sons of bitches and like this whole thing. And and I mean, I asked that question sort of in jest because I, I know how it could be like that.
1: And I say it's also it's not to say that she hasn't gotten elements Pushback. of the backlash. Right. I mean, we, we saw this with these last Olympics and all the sexist vitriol that, you know, and just the haters from Trump land. But haters from Trump land is almost like a built in feature at this point.
0: Right. I'm I get haters about, from Trump
1: land and I talk about. Yeah. Books, so
0: it's like and I'm not doing anything <laughs> special.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's about, Yeah, it's, it, it's a feature, not a bug. So it's like it's this sense, though, of broader societal and cultural affirmation, right. which Megan Rapino has received that Colin Kaepernick did not. Yeah,
0: it, it's just so interesting. I do. Since we're talking about white people and you are white, I am very curious why you chose not to put the N word in your book in written form, even though I think every time it's in there, it's a direct quote.
1: Yeah, um, and I honestly it's because I there are a couple I, a couple back like looking at people's history of sports in the United States. I did when it was in other people's words. I would use the N mm-hmm. word in full, and I also said slaves instead of enslaved people because mm-hmm. it never would have occurred to me to do otherwise. Mm-hmm. I just feel like I, there are certain things as a white writer I'm now comfortable with and not comfortable with. Certain ways that I feel like the language has changed, and I want to respect that mm. and if some gesture of me showing I understand this is not putting out the full word when everybody knows what I mean with the n and the dashes you know serves the same purpose, yeah, and also doing things like writing enslaved people instead of slaves, you know like these are these are changes that have occurred over the last decade
0: mm-hmm.
1: that I just that that have been pushed by black scholars that I just want to show that I, that I, that I respect.
0: Yeah. Speaking of changes over the last decade, you, like we've talked about before, you've been doing this work for a really long time and I feel like you're one of the you know, foremost scholars when it comes to sports and and politics or writers. I don't know if you'd consider yourself a scholar. I don't know. That word is, I I, I think that word means
1: other things. (laughs) I barely consider myself a writer some days. Well, you certainly are, (laughs) but you are,
0: and a podcaster and all those. I mean, you're, you're a person, at least for me, a person who loves sports and politics. You're who I look to when something happens. So I'm curious over the last decade, but I guess especially since Colin Kaepernick's protests, what do you feel like you've seen that's changed for the worse in sports and politics? Because I feel like there's a lot of things, including your entire book, that shows what has changed towards the better, right? Like, I feel like your book is an homage to people doing things and the good, the goodness of sports and politics. And I'm curious what you think has, has gotten worse in the last 10 years.
1: Well, you know what's gotten worse? First of all, I'm not just saying this to either by time or because I'm on your show. That's an amazing question. Thank you. Because <laughs> I had the what's changed for the better and why answer all queued up as you were starting to ask that question. <laughs> and I've only answered that question like 10 dozen times. So I got, you know, very smooth rap about why things have changed over the last 10 years. Social media, broader protests, the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, you could just lay it out right, pretty, of course. pretty easily. But what's changed for the worse? You know what's changed for the worse? I think, I think we do better You know, I was thinking the the Malcolm X line about, um, you know, rather have somebody stab me in the front than stab me in the back. Mm -hmm. I think we do better in the sports world when we have, like, honest-to-goodness villains Mm -hmm. in in ownership and in management and in the commissioner's office and not people who've been through communications-oriented sensitivity trainings that are geared towards making them as palatable mm-hmm. as possible mm. while they're still putting that knife in your back. Mm. So I look at people, you know, like, like the, the very sensitive and enlightened Adam Silver in the NBA. Sure. Who everybody praises as being so, I don't even like using the word woke anymore. Cause it's been so like appropriated by sure. as a right wing slur, but just but like Adam Silver or Or you've got, you've got Roger Goodell speaking about how he believes that he wishes the league had listened to Colin Kaepernick and that, Uh, yes, black lives matter, you know, or Rob Manfred, who's commissioner of MLB, who's, you know, saying that black lives matter while at the same time he's, you know, meeting with Barstool Sports about doing some historic partnership.
0: And there's like seven black American players in Major League Baseball right now.
1: So it's ridiculous. It's crazy. Yeah.
0: It's crazy. And the,
1: and the NFL, like like I did this book with Michael Bennett called Things That Make White People Uncomfortable. So and good. one of the things that Michael, thank you, that Michael said, which was so good, was he said, you know, people, I thought the insight was just like I almost fell over. He said, people need to stop talking about the NFL like it's an integrated league. Yep. He said, it's segregated. And I said, yep. what do you mean It's segregated. And he said it's segregated between those of us who are on the field getting hurt and those of, and the people who are in the owners' box and in the executive suites. Mm. It's actually a well, white people watch and black people hurt, and so it actually is segregated. And for them to be able to mouth all the right phrases mm-hmm. that have been focused grouped half to death, and you know they've gotten so much more skillful about doing that. The same way they've gotten more skillful about getting public money from the city coffers to pay for stadiums and right. pay for upgrades over the last decade that strategy has changed really dramatically where they used to do these referenda that would garner that would garner all sorts of publicity and fights and people going back and forth and and you know it would allow you to build real political campaigns where you questioned things like the public funding of stadiums you know now they just you know they know they can't win that fight anymore because there's mm-hmm. too much data that shows that it's like flushing money So they they get it through the back door uh, in city budgets and all sorts of slick sideways ways. So, you know, I mourn the loss of George Steinbrenner. I mourn the loss of the classic David Stern, you know, the classic villain, the autocrat, the person with the iron fist. Even David Uh, Stern
0: got a really great rewrite in Death, though, didn't he? Holy cow, that was incredible. I mean, I was stunned by how quickly... The David Stern love fest began immediately upon his death.
1: And he never had to answer the question, which is why did you put up with Donald Sterling for over 20 years? Sure. sure. You know, it's like, why did you abide this person who people have been writing about his racism for so many years Right, and other questions like that? Like, and it's just, oh my God. Like, yeah, yeah. He, he floated off on a, on a cloud.
0: It was incredible, and which is
1: one, one of the good things about this really good, not perfect, but really good documentary on Netflix, Malice in the Palace, oh, yeah. which has everybody talking about the, the fight between the Indiana Pacers and the fans of the Detroit Pistons, like, what, 17 years ago. It has some, not enough, but it has some digs at Stern and its handling of the piece. And I, I was like, well, thank goodness. It's not him, you know, kissing babies. Right. It's right. it, it's it's him being like they're, they're like, was it unanimous to suspend Ron Artest for the entire season? And he says, yeah, it was unanimous. One to nothing.
0: Oh, <laughs> a charmer. and You're just
1: like, damn. <laughs> right. Ugh. OK.
0: Yeah. Yeah. OK. This is sort of a fun thing. I, ho- I hope you can do it. I think you can. I follow you on Twitter. You're big on ranking your top five things. Wait. Usually actors in movies or something, I want you to rank your top five greatest moments of sports protest.
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, Oh, my God. I I can come up with five, obviously, off the top of the noggin. But you know, I get get worried about um, the order I put them in. So we won't hold you to the
0: order. We try um, try your best.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Hell yeah. All right. I got okay. this. All right. Five. We'll go straight up. Colin Kaepernick takes the knee. Okay. Four. WNBA players in the summer of 2016 refused to speak about basketball and pledge to only answer questions from reporters about the recent killings of black people by police. Mm. Amazing media moment. Three. Uh, Muhammad Ali refuses to step over the line and say that he will be drafted. And one of the reasons for his refusal is that they keep calling him Cassius Clay. And he says, no, my name is Muhammad Ali. Mm. Two, how could it not be Billie Jean King beating Bobby Riggs in the Battle oh. of the Sexes match? I'm still one of the most watched television programs in the history of the United States. Wow. <laughs> and one... No surprise if no you surprise. know me.
0: Yep, I know. <laughs> John Carlos,
1: Tommy Smith, October 1968, raised their black love fists to the heavens to say all power to the people.
0: Yes, so good. Oh my gosh. I I wrote a paper about that in high school for an African-American history class. Yeah. Oh, cool. That was my first ever sports politics, I think, moment that I like consciously was thinking about as a young person. Um, this was before I knew who you were, so this was not inspired by you, but basically everything since has been, um, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day. No exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's n-o-o-m.com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Okay, we're back. I want to talk about your writing process a little bit. I want to please ask yeah. you a
1: question first? yeah, yeah, quick. yeah. Because I'm a little bit self conscious. What do you think about that top five? I just, oh, said? I think that's a great top five.
0: I knew, is that a good top five? Yeah. I mean, I knew you were going to have the protests in Mexico City the Olympics. I knew you were going to have Muhammad Ali. I knew you were going to have Ka- Kaepernick. And then I wasn't sure which WNBA moment you were going to have. I wasn't sure if this kind of this past summer's WNBA like leading mm-hmm. the charge or if it was going to be 2016. And then I did not have the Billie Jean King moment, but that is mm. al- also great. I don't know what I would have guessed that you would have plugged in there. Um, perhaps the um, I don't know what else I would have plugged in. I, I probably know, couldn't do it.
1: <laughs> you, you know what? Like like just thinking about it. And and I just want the 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 listener to know this has all been off the top of the noggin. I didn't get a no no a, no a prep, no, which is no good. Prep. No prep. That's and that's what I like. Um, that's more fun. But just thinking about it right now, mm-hmm. you know, there are some more things to come to mind. Like definitely the player strike of August two thousand uh yeah. last year, August twenty twenty. I mean, that was starting huge. with the Milwaukee Bucks and then filtering through baseball and all these sports, like that. That that was so shocking. That was really special. And then just one last thing I'll throw out there. It's not a top five, but it comes to mind. The, the, the Chris Weber University of Michigan basketball team coming out wearing um, black T-shirts over their uniforms mm. to protest the fact that they you know, really you know, were being used as a commodity by the school.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: And, and I, th- I think that's pretty badass. For the early 90s, that's yeah. pretty badass. Also and the then, Missouri oh
0: football players. The Mizzou As football Mahmoud,
1: Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf not yeah. coming out for the
0: National the Anthem. at
1: the Anthem, Craig Hodges. Um, but you asked about moments, so that's really where yeah. my head was at. Like, yeah, what no, was a moment that's sort of indelible yeah. in history?
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's so many you could think of. I was trying to think if there's, like, a really good soccer one.
1: Oh, so many. I feel like the soccer
0: players have so many like small moments of rebellion, but I can't think of like one huge moment, but I'm also sort of new to soccer. um, Mm. So I feel like that could be part of it. But in, I think it's Welcome to the Terror Dome. You do it. I can't remember which of your books. You do a huge thing on the Nigerian-American soccer player, right? Is that in Welcome to the Terror Dome?
1: I believe so. Yeah. It's It's either that or,
0: or- People's history. I can't. I can't remember. <laughs> mm, but anyway, it's okay.
1: Yeah. I hear what you're saying though. And soccer is interesting because there's a million stories of like players like on the pitch showing union affiliations. Right. Tons of moments of players white and black walking off the pitch to protest a racial slur. Right. Throwing at one of the players. So there, there's there's some more than any American sport, there's like regular politics that can filter through soccer.
0: Right. In right. in
1: very, very dramatic fashion. Tons of Palestinian solidarity in European soccer as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think no, I think your list is spot on. I am glad you did it. I, I love your lists of actors, but this one felt more appropriate for your expertise. Um, I said Thanks. we were going to talk about about the George Floyd protests and we didn't. And I do want to make sure we get to that before we get to your writing process. So I'm curious in what ways you felt like the book changed because of last summer and kind of how you understood what was going on.
1: The The entire perspective of the book changed because it went from looking backwards to looking forwards. Mm. Because the, start, the, the starting purpose of the book was almost an archivist. Like, hold on, everybody. I see. You know, now that taking a knee is sort of becoming out of vogue and a lot of people are saying, eh, it doesn't quite hit like it used to uh, or it's become you know, commodified or corporatized. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before we start sneering at people who take a knee you know, or being like, "You know, that's not really effective, let's not forget the thousands of young athletes who did this and risked a lot mm. and in some cases paid a very serious price. Let's not forget them. That was the start of the book, looking backwards. But then when not only the protests started, but you had that incredible juxtaposition of Chauvin taking the knee on George Floyd's neck Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: the idea of taking a knee in peace Mm -hmm. to end police violence. And it started to become a feature at these protests around the country of people taking a knee, it's like, okay, we need to understand that this isn't just because people remember what Colin Kaepernick did five years ago. Right? You know, this is hit four years ago at the time. This has hit communities across the country. Hmm. You know, so it's not just like people are like, "Ah, yes, the NFL, it's like it becomes something more primal, more intimate. You know, one story I didn't tell in the book, partly because, you know, I don't know why it was just a little weird to tell a story <laughs> about a third grader. Oh. But um, this third grade friend of uh, my kids, he came up to me and he said, I just want you to know that I take a knee during the National Anthem or the Pledge of Allegiance every day. Hmm. He's in third grade. And I said to him, wow, you a big fan of Colin Kaepernick? And he said to me, who's Colin Kaepernick? Wow. wow. I was like, why do you do it? Why do you do it? And he said, Trayvon Martin. Mm. And so it's just, a, just I, I wanted that to get out there.
0: Hmm. So interesting. Okay. We're going to do sort of a, a hard shift, uh, totally non sequitur. I, I want to know about how you wrote this book, like where you were, how many hours a day do you spend writing or do you listen to music? Do you have snacks and beverages? Where are you? What's your, what are your rituals around writing this book? But also, you know, you write daily for, or you write as a journalist as well.
1: So you write other things. Okay, great questions. And I've not, no, no one's ever cared enough to ask. so I appreciate that. <laughs> this um, is
0: one of my favorite questions, and don't forget the snacks and beverages part. It's very important to me,
1: yeah. I mean, I mean, we, we could start there at the end. I mean, like I purposely don't do snacks., okay. And only recently, for health purposes, do I keep a bottle of water next to me and I okay. constantly hydrate throughout the day? And I also like now this is different. I do things like I get up and just even walk around the room mm-hmm. after 20 minutes. I used to sit for for hours, oh, wow. and then when it would be time to wait, and this was like a regular thing. I just viewed it as part of writing. Like stand up, and my legs are so cramped, I can't even get to my feet. Oh my gosh! And I got to stomp on my feet a little bit, get the blood moving, and then I'm like, ah, cheerio, <laughs> you know, you know, just just got to get the blood moving. So so that. Those are just some like self care habits that I've changed pretty dramatically, and frankly, part of self care is to not do the snacking with it because it can become like I used like I used to smoke and write, and uh, that's like twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. But but like but it but it was a thing where it was like furtive and constant, you know, smoke smoke right right smoke smoke right right, and when I quit smoking, like it did become eat eat right right eat eat right right, and so it's just like okay, you know, have your meals when you're Mm -hmm. supposed to have your meals and not do that, make sure there's some baby carrots out just in case, (laughs) but don't use the excuse of, uh, being a writer to, you know, put yourself in a position where you're, you know, not in good, uh, health. Got it. So it's a health question. It's not, not a vanity question. It's totally like, like, you know, making sure that, and this is really hard. Like, how do you have, healthy habits around being a full-time writer
0: Mm. which
1: is like obviously very sedentary and you know so it's that's taken me years to figure that out like you can't just be a writer you got to be a writer who also exercises or else you're not going to be a writer for very long
0: right right
1: so 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 there's there's that um music it has to be music that i know backwards and forwards And in that case, it can be like, I love, love, love mellow hip hop that I know back. Like my favorite writing album is Blowout Comb by Diggable Planets, okay. um, which I recommend to you, Tracy, if okay, you've never, never heard, heard, heard that it. album. It's amazing, Blowout Comb. And, um, and part of it is that I, I know every line, so it's not distracting at all. And it's a very mellow beat, and I could just lose myself in it and write. Also, for some reason, Velvet Underground live mm. double album. That was actually it was so weird. That was suggested to me by another writer. Shout out to Scott Macklemy. He said, you should write to this. And I said to him, nah, I can only do instrumentals or hip hop that I know really well. Otherwise, it's too distracting and I can't write. And he said, there's something about this. Velvet Underground live album, two valid volumes. And I said to him, but I've honestly, you know, I know who Lou Reed is. Yes, I know the song Wild Side, but I, I've I've never really listened to Velvet Underground in my entire life, which would make it even more distracting. Right. And he, and he just said, just trust me. Huh. And it's become like just a regular rotation writing music. I just play it on repeat over and over again. And there's just something about it that just makes me feel very chill. I love that. And you had other questions too, though. You Where was-
0: are you? Where do you write?
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> This one spot on the corner of my couch, which is the most sad area you've ever seen in your life, like the entire couch even tilts slightly towards that side. (laughs) The arm of the couch looks like it was used as a napkin an unfortunate number of times. Uh, I've, I've tried to clean this with a sponge like once a week just to make sure I try to get like some semblance of it not being disgusting. But I, I, I draw a firm line around getting a new couch right? because that's my spot. Right. That cushion knows me.
0: <laughs> that's hilarious. Before the pandemic, were you writing outside of the home?
1: That was what I was going to answer before. I, I, I say that I'll just, I can answer that very quickly. It's like, no, I, I need my corner of the couch. Um, I, I tried many times everything from, like going to the Starbucks. Mm-hmm. I tried, you know, going to the coffee shop. Partly because writing can be really isolating, yeah, and it can be it can be a, a depressant to write. And so, being in a public place is actually really important for me for for the issue of mental wellness. Like that's huge, but sometimes it's hard to get out, especially when you have a million other little things to do, like like whether it's stuff around the house or interviews, it's just like, well, what's the point of going to this cool coffee shop and it just opened up and work there or something. I never did the office share thing, although I thought about it a lot. Yeah. Um, just cause it just seemed like a waste of money Yeah, when I could just sit in a coffee shop for free.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, and, and so I, I do try to do that, uh, when, when I'm feeling it, but if I'm feeling like good between my ears, I'm like, hello, couch. I'll go for a jog later or something. Got it. And get get out that way. Um, now let me put on Velvet Underground double album and let me start working. I'm going to put that out. Oh, yeah, that's cool. And Diggable Planets uh, Blowout Comb. The, the other thing I um, just wanted to say is like, the pand- I wrote this book during the pandemic and it was such a obviously this horrific tragedy that was a blessing for the process of writing the book. Because most of the people I was speaking to were between the ages of 15 and 25. Mm. And this was the point of the pandemic early on where everybody's just at home 24-7. Right, right. Those early months, which, you know, were just like everybody. And so people were like really glad to talk to me
0: mm.
1: who otherwise probably would have been very difficult to get a hold of or wouldn't have seen me as being necessarily worth their time. Interesting. It's like. Like there were several people I talked to who are like, wow, it feels so good to talk to somebody.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Because also because I got to say, I'm going to
1: sound very old, (laughs) but because their main form of communication with one another is uh, through um, texting or instant mess, DMing or whatever through various Snapchat, whatever. It's like just to like get on the phone and have a conversation. Like they just like opened up even though I didn't know them particularly well and I asked them a couple of them about that when they were turned the tape recorder off and they did say things like yeah I've I've missed like being in school and being in a dialogue with an adult or I've missed mm. talking to other people that's cool like so so that helped the book a lot yeah um, i bet and, and so and that was cool and then very and then i knew things were different when the protests started, because it was a lot harder to, harder to get a hold of them.
0: Mm, interesting.
1: And, and, and that, that was really interesting, too. I was yeah. like, okay, things are stirring. People are, people are desperate to get out of their homes. And that's one of the reasons why these protests are so big. It's like this explosion of frustration. Yeah. Um, and resulting from the lockdown as much as it's about police violence.
0: I've, I've meant to ask you this before, talking about people you interviewed. Were you, did you try to get Colin Kaepernick? Was that on your list or did you not because it's not about his story specifically? Um, also, but, he's notoriously impossible to interview, right? He doesn't do
1: very many interviews. Yes. yes I absolutely, I, I ab- same thing with like, remember the wealth at the start of this interview, we talked about Welcome to the Terror Dome and Chuck yeah, D.
0: Yeah.
1: I was like, I'm not doing this book unless Kaepernick knows about it and. He and his people are giving me are not saying to me, we don't want you to do this. Right. I and mean, okay. frankly, I probably would have still done it anyway if they'd <laughs> said, don't do this. Right. But I thought it was important, out of respect for the, him and the work that he's done, to let him know it was happening. Mm-hmm. I've spoken to Colin before. I presented an award to him once. Um, I've interviewed him. Um. And but since 2017, I mean, he basically just does not do
0: yeah.
1: interviews and. You know, he's got his own production company. He's got his own spokespeople. And, you know, however he wants to do it, more power to him on that. But it was also very important to me that this book not be contingent on getting Colin Kaepernick. Sure. Or on his voice being there sure. as a part of it. Like, because like, I want this to be about the people who took the ball and ran with it. Uh, and I want to get away from some of the, the personality obsession stuff.
0: Right. That makes sense.
1: Um But I've been in touch with him and his people every step of the way. He has the book, like an early copy of it. Obviously, it would be amazing if he tweeted out like, hey, people should check out this book. But if he doesn't do that, I I won't necessarily lose any sleep either. Come on, Colin. I I didn't write it for that. (laughs) Right, of course. But it it would be be nice, no doubt. Um, That would be very cool. Uh, Love
0: Colin Kaepernick.
1: Big fan. I do too. I was watching, and I gotta say, just talking a little sporty. Um, my son is like a huge Ravens fan, so he found this ten-minute YouTube clip uh, of the super of the Super Bowl. Don't do it game. to
0: me. I'm a Niners fan. I can't handle this. Uh, 2013.
1: All, all, all I'm gonna say, I'm not gonna say anything about the game itself, but the, the second half stuff where Colin led them on that epic comeback. Yeah, no, uh, I remember. We're, we're watching it though, and my son, who, who was too young then to, to notice it or whatever who's now, he's got a great football mind. He's like, whoa, capri could play. Yeah, And I'm like, yeah. And it's like, he's got a rifle for an arm. I was like, yeah, he really does. He looks faster than everybody else on the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. Mm-hmm. And it was just a reminder to me that, wow, they, they took some good memories away from us mm-hmm. by choosing mm-hmm. to, as Etan Thomas says, white ball this man.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, ugh. That was my quarterback. Also, <laughs> I That's was at so his life. first NFL start. I loved him. Amazing. He's a mixed kid like me. He was everything mm. I ever wanted in a quarterback. And I just it was devastating as a sports fan, as a you know, like as a person who worships athletes in that way, you know, in those moments that we do when you're a fan of a team and you have a good player. Right. Like I am. Angry still that he doesn't Play football because he too. was So great and like yeah and In th- the lie that they told that He wasn't good anymore that was so Fucked up too like it's like okay just say We don't like him because he's political and Whatever and like stick to sports or whatever dumb Shit you want to say but don't try to tell me he wasn't Good because yeah uh, I've been Watching him for years and he was very good Wasn't that scary
1: though like the Messaging yeah that went that, out as and if people It was like still some sort of that. political Dictate
0: Yeah, like oh, he sucks. We have to
1: say he wasn't that good. Oh yeah,
0: like okay,
1: he was twenty nine. Yeah, what are you talking about?
0: So good. Okay, wait, I have Uh, to ask you this. This is so important. This is the most important question you're going to get today, which is what's a word you can never spell correctly on the first try?
1: So embarrassing (laughs) because I I, I got this. uh, This ruined me getting an A in I think it was fourth grade spelling (laughs) because I got this word wrong and. For some reason, to this day, I still can't get it right. But it's the difference between separate and separate.
0: Oh, yeah. I don't even know the difference. I No, it's impossible. It's impossible to know. I can't even.
1: I, I would tell you now with a 50-50 chance, I would get it wrong. And I still get it wrong. Like, I write separate, separate, and I, I, I get the E and the A's wrong. And it drives me batty. Yeah,
0: that's those are those are really good ones. Um, For people who love the Kaepernick effect, what are some other books you might recommend to them to check out
1: great question again Dang. Uh, def- <laughs> definitely Muhammad Ali redemption song Muhammad Ali in the spirit of the 1960s okay that that's a big one for just understanding conceptually uh protest struggle and the rest of it uh definitely and this is a famous book but if you haven't read it it should be on the list 40 million dollar slaves by William Roden mm. Um, easily the most the most read book on this subject that we're talking about, but it'll give you a background to just the ver- the very heart of the question of what it, of the, of the black athlete right. in the United States and the experience of the United States, and that's a good background too. So I would go those two big time, and then and then a book called Nike Is a Goddess hmm. about women's sports.
0: Interesting. I've never heard of that. That's so good. Okay, I got to cool. check that out.
1: But again, it, it just informs uh, the gender piece of this about the women athletes who, who step forward.
0: I oh, love that in the
1: in the book. Yeah,
0: those are great recommendations. I will link, of course, to everything in the show notes, people, so you don't have to scribble everything down. Um, what do you hope folks will keep in mind as they pick up and read the Kaepernick
1: effect? Well, first of all, I want them to think about the. Uh, 500 uh, DC public school kids who are all getting a, a free copy of the book.
0: Oh, cool! Um,
1: in 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 their backpacks uh, going into this year. That's part of the partnership I have with Serve Your City DC.
0: That's awesome. So
1: I I want them to think about uh, the same way we're trying to pay it forward to these kids, so they're inspired going forward. Uh, I want them to think about you know what they can do to make an athlete in their community feel like they're more than just an athlete. Something mm. as simple as that that you care about their mind as much as their bodies, that you care about what they do in the classroom as much as what they do on the field. Like even something as simple as that would be the way to pay this forward and pay forward the struggle of all these young athletes who refuse to be defined by the box that they're put in and were willing to become a paradox.
0: Okay, last one. If you could have one person dead or alive read this book, who would you want it to be?
1: I mean, honestly, if, I, if I'm if i speaking like super truth, um, it's someone who's going to read the book. It's a John Carlos, mm. uh, 1968 Olympics. I did a book with him. He's one of my best friends. Um, for him to like this book would mean everything to me. And for, you know, and he's featured in the book. And, you know, it's just like this idea of him knowing in his heart that he was the great gardener of everything that we're seeing today. He was the, he was, the, the the Johnny Appleseed, let's call him Johnny Protest Seed, <laughs> um, little, little Dr. John Carlos, Johnny Protest Seed. He planted these seeds that um, that enabled this book to be written.
0: Love that, love that. uh what a hero! My goodness, what just for people like me who love sports and politics and and the co- combination of those two things. And I know we agree that those things are inextricably linked. Anyone who says otherwise is either an idiot or being disingenuous, um, you can decide for yourself. But I I mean, John Carlos, Tommy Smith, heroes of of that, of that lane, at least in my heart, and I'm pretty sure in yours too. Um, Dave, this was so awesome. Everyone, go out and get the Kaepernick effect. It is out in the world as you're listening, and it's really good. And if you love sports, and if you even if you don't love sports, but you love You know, young people protesting. If you're curious about the ways that the that Kaepernick has changed sport and changed the way we think about sport and changed the way young people think about sport, get the book. It is great. Dave, thank you so much for being here.
1: Tracy, I mean, it was such my pleasure, my honor. Love the stacks podcast. And if anybody wants to hit me up on Twitter at Edge of Sports, if you have any questions or anything that comes out of this pod, I'll, I'll answer them directly. Just. Hit me up
0: and follow him for those actor rankings in yes. films. The <laughs> rankings are <I've>, very important. <laughs> I've I've run out of
1: actors though. Like I'm totally.
0: Have you done like uh like uh Penny Lane, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days? Oh, Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson. I, feel like I you don't think do I've Kate done Hudson. Kate Hudson. All right. Have you done Sanaa right. Lathan? Have you done Regina King? Yes, I think you've done yes. Regina King. Okay, yes, we got I, I'll send you some suggestions, some some deep please cuts do. from the rom com world. I'll, Have you done Gina Davis? Do.
1: Yes. Okay. Absolutely, because I'm a big long kiss goodnight freak.
0: Okay, but where did a League of Their Own fall? Because that would be number one, obviously. So you made a mistake. Uh, no, Long Kiss
1: Goodnight <laughs> was number one. Have you ever seen Long Kiss Goodnight?
0: No, but A League of Their Own is my number one favorite film of all time, I'll,
1: period. All hands right. down. Well the end. <laughs> see if you, if, you, if you uh Promise me nothing out of this uh, experience, please. See a long kiss, good night, starring okay. Gina Davis, Samuel L. Jackson. It's it's so great.
0: Do you ever do director rankings?
1: Uh yeah, I actually was was starting to play around with that, and then I was nervous about it being a little too auteurist. I see. You know, okay. I don't like to promote the idea that the director is really the person who made the film. You know, so many people go into making course, a movie. Of course, I- I'm
0: going to think of some other performers for you to do. Have me you done too. Jamie Foxx yet?
1: Yes. Okay. okay. My name is Willie Beeman. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> well, we, this is not a movie podcast, so we're going to stop. But Dave, okay. thank you so much for being here. Everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to Dave for being my guest. I'd also like to thank Brian Ulicki for making this interview possible. The Stacks Book Club pick for September is Blood in the Water by Heather Ann Thompson. We will discuss the book on Wednesday, September 29th with Derica Purnell. If you love the show, please head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the Stacks Pack and get inside access. Make sure you're subscribed to the Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram, at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter, and check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Our editor is Christian Duenas, our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music comes from Takira The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy.